0: Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi,
1: I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Well, Ed, yet another episode in. We're at uh, about episode
0: 31 now. We're moving right along, wouldn't you say, man? Yeah, you know I'm a big Magic Johnson fan, so we're almost to my favorite number, <laughs> <laughs>
1: thirty-two.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely.
1: Well, I'll definitely say that uh, this one, when I started doing some research for it, I found some really good material, um, and obviously you, you've got it in front of you. But it started uh, really creating more thought into our episodes, you know, or just even this one, and like how dynamic. Being an influencer is in, in, in itself. So, and you know, when we get into the the discussion today, not only what we're going to talk about is it about influencing, but it's also about the influencer. So you, you you actually see it in two different areas. But let me ask you this: Ed, has there ever been a time where you had a plan? You're about to conduct some type of uh, task, mission, anything like that? Obviously, that you can talk about, and then all of a sudden things completely changed and you had to flip the script and basically come up with a a new way of doing it because you couldn't do it that way.
0: The one thing that really comes to mind with me, and I've discussed it before is we were getting ready to deploy. Uh, I was up at Fort drum at the time. And uh, so I'm, I was working in maintenance. So I'm, I was like the guy that gets them their parts and tracks and all this other admin stuff. and, uh, so I'm working with the mechanics, and I get called to the office, and my first sergeant relieves the supply sergeant and asks me to be his supply sergeant. So for those that don't know in the military, what I do in the motor pool and what they do as a supply sergeant, it's it's two totally different jobs because I'm taught not to say no to the first sergeant. I was like, okay, first sergeant, I mean, I, I, I'll do it. So I'm gearing towards a deployment thinking motor pool operations maintenance operations and then bam i have to pivot and now i'm thinking big picture i'm thinking about turning in equipment i'm thinking about signing for equipment when we get there and i'm trying to learn a job that is not my in my wheelhouse you know i had no experience at the time um so i had to learn and i've talked about using the soldiers i had to help have them help me to learn and i think i only had a couple months maybe maybe three months or so before the deployment to really, you know, assume this role. And it wasn't easy, but I mean, I did it for 18 months and and I was recognized for uh, the excellent performance of my soldiers uh, and the leadership that I provided to get them there. So, I mean, I guess I did it okay, but yeah, it was, it was difficult because it's like I'm I went from being the big fish in the, in the maintenance uh, operations to being the little guppy at the supply sergeant operations, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't know if it'd be considered being a little guppy
1: because that's still a big that's a big piece. If you think about it, you know, I mean, logist, logistics isn't just the same thing everywhere. And to take on, especially your particular uh, wheelhouse of logistics that you you have been trained for years, is not the exact same thing as the. The company supply level it depends upon the you know the the size of the company and all that. I mean, it's a whole other beast. You're talking about hand receipts, everything. It's it's another thing.
0: Yeah, I think I, I think the the analogy using the guppy and and the big fish is really just knowledge based. Because in a in a ah. maintenance operation at that point, like I could really just run that. Like I could show up at any unit, identify the problems, and be like, okay, this is what I need to do to fix my side of the maintenance operation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I went in there blind on knowledge. And, and so that's why I had to come up with I had to come up with a way to learn it through the soldiers teaching me. And I had a lot of other people that were very uh, helpful and mentoring on the process at the time. So it, it, it was it was. So that's kind of what I mean by that analogy.
1: OK, yeah. I mean, and if you think about it, though, like you took on you took on a role or confidence Really had to play a, 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 a vital piece in this. Like you couldn't be overconfident, but you couldn't be underconfident. You know, so you you kind of had to, you kind of had to like have that equilibrium of confidence uh, to be able to, you know, know that all right, I don't know how to do this, but I need to learn this, and then at the same time, okay, I understand this part, no problem. I'm not going to show that I'm a you know know it all type situation. So really, it's like you had this little, it's almost like a balance scale of how much confidence you had.
0: Yeah, and, and so it really played, too, that I knew I wasn't a subject matter expert, but I had to become one and give the impression I was one because, you know, seniors would be questioning you all the time if, if they realize, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about or they're going to try to get away with something. or So I had to quickly adapt and, and learn those things, you know what I mean, to to be able to handle that task and not get walked all over.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, and for those of you who don't understand, um, military, uh, logistics or supply and whatnot, I will tell you that just hand receipts alone, just hand receipts. And that's basically people are signed for certain equipment, you know? Um, so my buddy once said, and this is uh, kind of a branch off my buddy once said, he's like, man, he's like, I was in the army. I was signed for millions of dollars worth of equipment. I was given a bunch of soldiers to, you know, to, uh, manage and be responsible for and all this. And he's like, I got out because he got out of the army um, right after we got back from Iraq for that first deployment. And he's like, I can't find a job that allows me to, you know, have that same responsibility that, you know, that's to where I can have ownership on it and whatnot. And I'm like, man, that's crazy. Cause it really is funny how we, we, we make a certain amount of money. But we are literally responsible for millions of dollars worth of equipment. So with that, what I was getting at is, is him just understanding the hand receipt piece and people signing for it. And when we say sign for it, now they've taken physical they've taken ownership written, but also physically over equipment. And that equipment, if something happens to it, uh, gets lost, damaged, anything happens to it. Now it's on that person who signed for it and just keeping them straight. And when, you know, when Ed said, he said, uh, keep, you know, not allowing them to get over, like that's one of those key pieces alone. And that's just one small aspect of unit supply, which is nowhere in Ed's wheelhouse. So, I mean, that's, that's a, that's actually a pretty de- big doggone task you took on, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then throw a deployment into it like, oh, by the way, you're doing this and we're going to Iraq in 90 days. It's like, uh, OK. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know what, though? We didn't really talk about it
1: before the show, in a sense, before we started recording this one. Um, we're, the show basically is influence is pivotal, versatile and adaptive. That was the same story I had in my mind that I was hoping you would kind of talk about, <laughs> even though I didn't say, hey, talk about it. And, you know, because all I kept thinking about it and I says, like, you know, that's that was a point where you were pivotal, you were versatile and you became adaptive. And we'll keep hitting upon that as we go through and we start talking about these different areas. But for those you listen today, influence is this is that little bit of series that we have going on. Influence is pivotal, versatile and adaptive. And we're going to hit upon each one of those, uh, just those words and when we talk about it, I want you to think about it in the manner that it's not just the influence, but also the influencer, or could also be the influencee. So, you know, you have to think about it as, as like three different little aspects there that when we talk about each one, it could directly affect each one. So, all right, you ready to get after it, Ed? Let's do it. All right. So, here we go. So, we're going to, first, we're going to dive into Pivotal. And I, I grab some definitions and whatnot, and then we're, we're gonna talk, we'll discuss it. But a pivotal role, point, or figure in something is one that is very important and affects the success of that thing. High school graduation is a pivotal moment in most people's lives, an important point that signifies a shift in direction. Some people are pivotal in our lives. They are present to us as just the right time with just what we need. A pivotal person is extremely important to an endeavor. The success or failure of the project may hinge on the actions of the pivotal person. That person being the one who directs and guides other contributors to the project. That was basically a definition that I pulled uh, with about pivotal. And when you read about it, you think about it. What happened in your story there directly correlates to being pivotal. You were that. You were that. That one important piece to allow it to work out. Now, could somebody else have done it? Possibly, but you were selected because you were a key item within that organization.
0: Yeah, you know, this reminded my man reminded me of my man Winston Churchill, and everybody always says that he was the perfect person to lead Great Britain during World War II. Like he was that pivotal. You know, person, especially once they get pushed out of Dunkirk and they're pushed off the European continent. But his will, his determination kind of kept Great Britain in the fight. Another leader may have surrendered at that point. Like they were they were they were whipped pretty handily already, but he didn't. He, he stood up and you'll hear that a lot about him is he was the greatest prime minister possible for that moment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we think about the the whole pivotal piece, you know, there's there's different elements of being pivotal, you know, build, not only are you the key, like the main cog in it, but there's also pieces of you, of that cog that help form the inner guts of the cog, right? So to hold basically the structure of it. And just, I think of it as like a gear or cog. And if it was just the outer shell, it would collapse under pressure. But what if you took and you sectioned off pieces, then each one had a little, each one is like its own little element of that cog. And if once you get each one of those pieces in there, now you have a solid uh, object that allows uh, for it to work or the whole system to work. Let's think about, you know, we've talked about these things before, but vision or values or, you know, a positive attitude or even just being appreciative of others like those are all little aspects that help being pivotal there was a i read it here we go a dream is your creative vision for your life in the future leadership guru dennis whiteley said you must break out of your comfort zone and become comfortable with the unfamiliar and the unknown when i think about when i think about what you went through ed you were very uncomfortable probably right off the bat. You you probably had that, that in, initial shock, right? Oh yeah. But at the same time, you all of a sudden you're like, I got to do this. It's not like I can just say, no, you felt like you had to do it and you did it. You did the mission.
0: Yeah. Um. And, and so part of it was, I came in and, and, you know, I had three soldiers at the time. And so when I came into the situation, I absolutely went straight to the three soldiers and said, Hey, Here's where we're at right now. Here's where we need to be. Here's where my knowledge is at. Here's what I need from you to help me. And so I painted this picture of them on how we're going to succeed and get out the door and on the plane and on our way to Iraq so that they had a, a firm understanding of, of what we needed to get accomplished. And I think that helped a lot. Yeah. But I had a little rapport with them because I was in the organization. It's not like I was somebody new coming in organization. So that helped. Yeah. Well, and, and so let me see this then. You basically
1: give them a, a vision of what needed to be done. But at that point in time in your career, your knowledge base, did you really understand what a vision was?
0: Uh, I don't think I did. I don't think I really, I mean, I knew. So I, I was doing it, but I didn't realize, hey, I'm giving them my, my vision. You know what I mean? Like, I really, I don't think I did because I was. But you presented. Eh, I I'm not. Prepared. You presented a vision. Yeah, and I think some of it goes back to how we're we're trained, though, right? Like we we want to make sure our soldiers understand, like, hey, what's our hundred meter target? What's our two hundred meter target? What's our three hundred meter target? Mm-hmm. We we make sure the soldiers understand that. So, I think the army teaches us teaches us to share a vision before we understand what a vision is.
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I, I guarantee you, many times we're giving a vision and we didn't even know what a vision was.
0: I mean, we do it for our career progression, right? These are the things I need you to do so we can get you promoted. When you get a brand new soldier just came to the army, we need to do this and we need to send you to this this board and, and this class. So we're really giving them a vision of how we see their career progressing, but we're not calling it that. We're just saying we call it mentorship in that case. Yeah, but that's that's part of being
1: pivotal and not realizing that how much of an influencer you could be or you are at the time. It's basically setting into motion – bit of an opportunity to be successful with whatever it is that you have you're taking a part in absolutely let's think about the let's think about the the core values of it though you know like so for instance you said hey i had to make sure to keep people in line or straight To me, that that sounds like there's a there's a bit that has a lot to do with some type of value space, because, you know, if somebody said, oh, well, you know, can we just like we just say it's missing and you could possibly write the paperwork up? It's missing. And then next next thing you know, you've done something illegal and you're on the cover of Army Times.
0: Uh, Yeah. And, you know, what else this reminds me of, Brian, the book that we uh, are going to be doing in the future uh, great leaders have no rules in, in it. He talks about how when you start a business, right, I'm I'm the one lone employee and then I'm going to interview, say, three people and hire them. But at that point, not only am I sharing my vision with them, but I can hire them based off of my values and what I want the values of the organization to be. Right. Mm-hmm. So then I hire those three or four. And then pretty soon, I'm you know, I'm, I'm hiring 10 which I can still have an influence on that. But as the organization grows, it becomes more difficult for me to instill my core values directly on them. So now that's where whoever's going to be under me, I need to instill my values on them so that they can instill those values on the subordinates and, and trickle it down as the company continues to grow. And he talks about that in that book. Oh, yeah. So when I read this article, this is Or when I read this piece, that's immediately what I thought about was, you know, yeah, yeah for the first 10, 15 people you hire. Yeah, I can instill my own values and and hire people according to what I see as the values of this organization. But eventually, you know, it gets a little more difficult.
1: Yeah. And and that's that falls right along with what we talked about. You, when it's that first 10 or 15 people, you are that influencer who is pivotal. But then, now, once you start hiring, once once there's other people involved, now they have to be that pivotal piece that influences or is influenced, also at the same time through your influence. Uh, yeah, that's that makes that's a really good uh, analogy there. Thank you.
0: Let's talk about pivotal leaders. They have a positive attitude. This is you. This is you, my friend. Uh, <laughs> so this is you because you do you you. So when like we talk about many times, we've talked about the curriculum change where we worked before, but you were very positive on what the outcome was going to be. Well, thank you. I was a little more skeptical at times, (laughs) but at that point you were the center of gravity. You were the cog for that, for that push. And maybe you had a few little people in there with you, but for the most part, you were that driving force. So your positive attitude is what helped drive and, and, you know, if you remember, initially we you ad- I remember you uh, sitting in a class and you identified these are the people that I'm going to get pushback from, right? And then you went to the drawing board and found a way to. Uh, you didn't go to them and say, "Hey, I don't need your pushback." No, you went and found a way to reach them through your influence, yeah. to get them on board with you as well. So I mean, and so I I would argue that in that instance, that's an excellent example of you and your positive attitude. And I got a quote from my man Winston. Yeah, you do. Attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference, Sir Winston Churchill. <laughs> I I totally agree with that, man. That's yeah, it is a huge difference.
1: And I would tell you that I've stepped up my game on attitude um, since being here uh, with the organization I'm part of now. Uh, to I'm I don't want to say I'm testing it, but I wanted to see. How things can be different when it comes to attitude all the time. Like, I, and when I say this, it's like I see people. I try to, I try my best all the time to have like this happier attitude towards things. And if something bad happens or doesn't happen the way I want it, instead of being completely mad at it or whatever, you know, like that whole crying over spilt milk thing. Instead, it's like, nah, well, it's gonna happen. But how do we fix it? And, and that's a different attitude towards it, right? So it, it's saying, I understand things will happen, but we're going to fix it together, you know? So yeah. <laughs> uh, I appreciate the comments, man. Uh, yeah, they, I will I will tell you there were many times where I struggled with my attitude <laughs> during that whole transition we had. So
0: just know I was comfortable enough. I have said something to you. But um, yeah, so attitude. So I remember being a young leader and attitude was something I struggled. I did not have a positive attitude. I was, It's going to sound crazy because it's a pet peeve of mine, but I was the complainer with no solution. This is so stupid. Why are we staying so late? But I also had a goal to make enough rank to affect a change in some of that stuff. But my attitude at times stunk. And I I wish I could recall my aha moment. Mm -hmm. But at some point I had an aha moment. I was like, all I'm doing, and I tell my wife this sometimes, all I'm doing by having this bad attitude about a situation is making myself more upset and making those around me miserable. Mm-hmm. Where if I can be like, okay, yeah, this isn't the greatest situation, but here's how we go and fix it. And then the bearded ninja and his quote, what are you so upset about? Nobody's shooting at us. Those things together, I think I have a much better attitude. and in when I, whenever I had that aha moment, I can, I do recall that I started having, um, I was, I enjoyed going to work more. Oh yeah, yeah. I, there was no sitting in your car taking a deep breath, like, oh boy. I enjoyed it more because I had to spot. Yeah, things are gonna happen. Nothing is gonna be perfect every day, but the attitude that we have when things don't go perfect is what influences those around us and us though. That's what makes people come home and get in arguments with their spouse because they bring work home and they're angry about work, but it's just finding that way. So yeah, attitude. I, I really, yeah, I would argue that's probably one of the most important things on here.
1: Oh yeah. To be pivotal. I, I have to agree with it. And the thing is though, with it, it's either you're going to add to, or you're going to take away as the pivotal person. You're either going to add to what's going on or you're going to take away because, a positive person their attitude it helps lower the stress it helps keep the team focused on whatever the mission is or the task is and it builds a stronger morale because people want to be around you but let's say you have a bad attitude and we've talked about this in previous you know we talk about it in the science of likability too right yeah. when people see you and they're happy they're happy to see you it helps elevate it elevates that whole atmosphere that that just I'm telling you, it's like ever since I've been doing, you know, like trying to change certain elements of how I present myself all the time. And don't get me wrong. There's a difference. I'm not bubbly, you know, like that bubbly, like a lot of people see that as fake. And it's just really does. It really people tend to just kind of like frown upon it. But it's literally looking at people telling them you're glad to see them giving them a high five, <laughs> smiling at them. I mean, just, you know, we talked about, we just talked about the last episode too. It's just those small things that will help lower the stress. And and you know what's cool too about that? When your attitude is, even if you don't know what the heck's going on as that pivotal person at that moment, most of the time, because they know how you you are because of your attitude, when you go to ask the question, well, what's going on? how can i help they will allow they will talk to you about it but if you're the type of person that's really negative or uh violent in nature like maybe abusive in talk people will refrain and they will they will withdraw from you and they will pull anything that out of the what they would normally say out of their statement just because they instead they it turns it it's fear they don't want anything to do with what the fear creates. So, uh, definitely. And the last thing we're talking about when it comes to be a pivotal leader or pivotal influencer is showing a grateful appreciation. Mm -hmm. And I think that falls on the attitude piece too, but in itself being grateful, I I've had a hard time with, uh, those who are entitled who act entitled as if like you owe them something.
0: Yeah. I,
1: I, I can't deal with people like that. It really bothers me. I, I do deal with them. And, and instead, I try to open up that pathway of showing them that you're not entitled to anything. You have to work for everything in this world. Um, yeah, there are people that they grow up with a silver spoon in their mouth. Yeah, so what? I got it. They get a silver spoon, whatever. Their mom and dad, grandfather, whatever, they gave them money. So they they always have all the luxuries of life. Or You know, just it's just the entitlement of like everything is owed to me. That's that can really uh, that can really get on my last nerve sometimes.
0: (laughs) It sounds like a very sensitive point for you.
1: (laughs) It can be. It can be. But but showing gratitude towards people, I don't I don't feel like that's an it's something that they think they should get. You should do it anyways, no matter what. Right. Yeah, just absolutely. You know, being grateful no matter what. Be grateful and you'll see, you know, and it's knowing how to stop someone from being overly entitled about things. You know, it's like, Hey, you know, I'm really glad you're here, blah, blah, blah. Well, this place would, you know, that, that, that would be the conversation to go going is, Hey, I'm glad you're here. We're really, we, we we constantly need your help, blah, blah, blah. And then that person talks about yeah, this place should, I'm the one that gets everything done. That's usually right about there is where my tipping point hits. And I'm like, well, hold on now. You're not the only person here that makes everything happen. There are other people that are involved. We appreciate your your service and everything you do, but just remember you do have a place.
0: Yeah, and so this is also uh for me anyway. When we talk about grateful appreciation, that's when these when we get up there and we acknowledge those that make us successful. That's especially as a military leader, all right? So you're going to get an award for whatever, for Iraq, Afghanistan. You get your award, not when you're, you don't get up there and say, "Well, you know, I did this, I did this," because you're a representation of what your soldiers accomplish. So those are the ones, you know, I want to first and you know, I want to thank my soldiers for making me mm-hmm. uh, better, because then that gives them that buy-in that he realizes we're a part of his success too. It's a, it's it's a group. Uh, success. So I think that that's important to acknowledge those that help you get, get there, you know? Yeah. I
1: would have to say that was like one of the the statements that our old, our our old Sar major used to say all the time is like, he used to say, it's not me that's in the classroom getting after it every day. Or he said something like that. And he said, no, it's you all. You're the ones who are making this organization go. And statements like that, that's exactly what it, that's, that's appreciation across the board for everyone though, you know, because, just because uh, you're the leader, does not mean you're the one making things happen? You're just there to help help keep
0: it running. Well, and we so yesterday yesterday I had the honor of going to Bastogne, and you and I talked about it before the show, and I just want to um, so General McAuliffe, who was the commander of the 101st Airborne Division, he gets this letter. He's admired. The writer admires him for his courage. But this is what he says back in his response letter. It is not I who should be receiving such letters. The real heroes of this war are the frontline fighting soldiers. I had at Bastogne an opportunity to express the soldiers' feelings and did so. You see, I was only speaking as their representative. Um, and, and you'll hear the story at a later date on the whole what he said, but basically he's saying, hey, I appreciate your admiration. However, this is who really deserves it and it just plays to this too it's just ironic that i just went there yesterday
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah well and you know what's funny too though uh that very statement also can help morale because what if he didn't say it that way right what if he did take credit as if it was all him i think that would kind of be demoralizing to those uh who are were fighting in the trenches at Bastogne.
0: oh uh, yeah because he'd lose a lot of respect and any leadership capital and mm-hmm. yeah so i mean i think that's when we talk about pivotal leaders showing great shows grateful appreciation i really think that that just embodies it just him shooting that letter back saying yeah i appreciate it but absolutely man all right so that that was that's basically
1: what we were going with. The whole pivotal uh, portion of influence is pivotal. Not only influence is, but the influencer and the influencee, they are also pivotal. And and being able uh identify that and understanding that h- helps you as an influencer to uh, elevate your game, so to speak. You know, you, you hear us talk about these things and sometimes you're like, man, it's the same thing. They're saying, well, there's a reason why it's the same thing we're we're kind of sending the the message home as hey this is what you can do to be that that type of influencer you want to be be pivotal do it through a clear vision you know uh, to be able to help out with some value you know bringing uh, the group to their core values of the group or having that positive attitude and then also being able to show appreciation of others those are the things that help that all right so next we're going to get into versatile Basically, influence is versatile. From the definitions of what I've pulled, versatile is to describe a person or thing that can adapt to do many things or serve many functions. Consider the adjective versatile. When we look at it, the definition of uh, versatile is embracing a variety of subjects, fields, or skills, uh, turning with ease from one thing to another, having many uses or applications, uh, changing fluctuating reliability capable of moving laterally and up and down so versatile just in a sense it's you re, you're able to do what needs to be done to accomplish what needs to be accomplished right uh, we even we actually pulled a few articles uh, according to the dictionary.com the definition of versatility is capable of of or adapted for turning easily from one to another or of various tasks, fields of endeavor, etc. Being versatile is going to be a major challenge for many. See, and I think this, this, this particular word, it really speaks to your time at, when you were selected to do that particular job as the supply guy of the company. Because you... Not only were you pivotal, but you also became very versatile. Wouldn't you say?
0: Uh, I became a, I did because I became a more well-rounded quartermaster. Because now I understood. So in in the quartermaster realm, there's several jobs. You know, there's morticians fall under us, fuelers, the supply guys, us in, in main, on the maintenance side. So now I understand two key components that do play. They do feed each other. Um, And at times when we worked together, I didn't understand how they fed each other, why they fed each other. But by going there, that gave me a better understanding of it. And then when I went to see more senior level schooling, it, it helped because I was more versatile as a quartermaster. And then when I got here to Europe, well, I have to understand all aspects of logistics so I would say that my time in Europe is making me a much more versatile quartermaster because now I'm understanding the mortician side, you know, the fueler side and all this other stuff as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And basically, that allowed you to possibly operate as somebody who's directing all them. Actually, that's what you're doing now, in a sense, is you're directing each little piece. When we look at when we look at being versatile, different skills of being versatile because what you're talking about. One of them big is how well you communicate with people. Right. So we've talked about communication uh influencing through communication.
0: Many times.
1: <laughs> yeah. So when we communicate our ability to communicate with other people and communication is so many different forms. We said this before, you know, whether it be through spoken word, through an email, through a text message, through a phone call, face to face or through the phone call, you know, either way, um, through another person. That one's I think that's one of the tougher ones, right? When I give when I give this person exactly what I had to say. Yeah. <laughs> and now it, they're going to translate it. They're going to receive that message. They're going to translate it and then they're going to move on. You know, it's kind of like the uh, we, we, we've we done it. Plenty of people have done it. They, they would call it the uh, the grapevine game or the telephone game. The telephone game. Yeah. And, and the message changes. And you're like, oh man, that is not what I said. But hey, they got the mission done. <laughs> so, but communicating well—that's that's key. Whether it be, and it could be something as small as, you know, proofreading your emails before you send them out to make sure that you have the right time, or the right place, the spelling is correct. Because sometimes when you send out a, a, a message and the spelling isn't right, that's what people are going to focus on. That doesn't communicate well with them because now they're just focused on the fact that you couldn't spell a word correctly.
0: So it's funny you mentioned the email. So I'll tell you a little story. And I made fun of it because I was like, really? This is what I'm getting called for. So when I first got here, I sent out an email with taskings and I sent it to all of the um, the different sections within my organization to their their leads, right? Their NCOs. And I was like, hey, I need da-da-da-da. Well, I also, for oversight, include the Sergeant Major, who is over all of us, but it was just for him to have insight. But I put him on the two line. <laughs> and, and he really had me call him, and he's like, are you telling me to give you these names? And I said, no, Sergeant Major, it's for insight. And he said, then I should be on the CC line, not the two line. And I never even thought of it. i am be honest with you. I didn't even think of it like that. Yeah. And at first, I was like, "Is he really making a big deal about being on the two line versus the CC line?" And then it really clicked that yeah, because I'm saying, "Hey, give me these names to you people," and he was on there. So I was like, "Sergeant Major, give me these names." Uh, I'm only an E seven Sergeant First Class. That's a E nine Sergeant Major. I'm not telling him to do anything. You know? So I actually learned from it. I thought it was a little bit. He made a little bit too much of it, but I did learn from it. So when you talk about communication, right, like the difference between the C and the the two and the CC line is what got me on communication.
1: Yep, and it's and it's something simple too, though. Yeah, and I guarantee you you'll probably never forget that lesson. I never will either. And I
0: actually mess with him about it. So I'm you want me to send you that email to you or CC you?" And he's like, <laughs> "He uses profanity, but uh, he uses he's an old ranger, so he uses a little bit of profanity." And then I I leave. But I mean, that's just a that's. One
1: more thing that makes you versatile, uh being able to understand how to communicate well with others. And, you know, and, and then there's also the BCC, which is the blind CC. So you're like, oh, man, you know, I mean, but we're just talking email. You know, it's kind of like yeah, Iverson
0: saying we're talking about practice. Yeah. Email? The two line? The two line. We're not talking the body. We're talking about the two. Line. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but it goes into that, though. It goes into what you're saying about communication. Because, unfortunately, I mean. I'm not a fan of all the social media. I've said it before, but unfortunately, this is what the industry, with life, has evolved to. And emails is what it's evolved to. Like people look at me crazy because I'll say, "Oh, I need to go talk to such and such about my travel voucher," and they're like, "Won't you just email them?" Now I'm a face-to-face guy with certain things, so I'm going to talk to them. Uh, and you, and it does you do use significant time in going face-to-face. I get it. So I guess you got to kind of understand in your organization these are. Face to face tasks. These are things I can call on, and these are things I can email mm-hmm. on. So, and then you know, and that comes from the top. What what's the expectation from the top? Hey, you're going to face to face when we're talking about this. It's interesting.
1: Yeah, it can be a, something as small too. It's like say you need something, right? But it's not a requirement of someone to give that something to you. You have to pick and choose the right time to communicate, the right way of communicating to them to get what you need from them to accomplish what it is you need, are trying to do. Yeah, I, I don't know how many different times. It's I just can't walk up to you and say, "Hey, I need you to do this." No, if it's not, if it's not, you, if you're not in charge of that, you're, you're probably going to tell me, you "No, know, go pound sand."
0: Also, you can't send excessively long emails and want people to read it all. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> is that a knock on
1: me? What? Nah. Yeah, you're right. No, it, it, and I still, I still do it. I still send long email. I, I've done it already once here and seen how many people bluff. What's that? Yeah, bluff. Bottom line up front. Absolutely, the bottom line up front <laughs> does help, and that's I'm learning to use that. Um, but another <laughs> thing, another thing about being versatile is not getting stuck inside of a box. Maybe through problem solving um, or. Basically, knowing how to conquer the tougher uh, projects or problems within the organization. Yeah, it's understanding how to use problem solving to develop a plan. Let's say it's a, a particular problem has come up, and, and the same answers keep coming up to fix that problem, but everyone knows that that particular answer is not going to work. It's just it's starting to think outside that box. All right, the and, and this is one of the best ways. I have found to help me. I just need to know what's the end state got to be. If you tell me what the end state or if I know what the end state is supposed to be, I will work through, you know, backwards plan it to where I know how to actually get to that end state. But sometimes uh, we basically get stuck inside of a box of, well, this is how we always did it. We've talked about this before, Ed. Uh, yeah. Uh.
0: <laughs>
1: you like that one, don't you, buddy? Yeah. Yeah. But it's knowing how to, you know, you know, kind of keep ahead of the game and to be able to think outside that box and use problem solving. You're going to show that you are versatile by being able to do that. Being able to hone your skills in, you know, if this small problem here has been it's been a problem in the organization for a year or two and all of a sudden you're like, "Well, let me have a hold of it." And then you fix it. Whoa! Yeah. Now you're just you showing how versatile you can be.
0: So this one, I actually have a problem with this one. You and I are working together with somebody. So if you're, for me in the military, right, and, and no matter where you are, you should be able to make some decisions on your own based off of historical data, your experience, but don't look for me to to validate. Like, make a decision. Well, we're going to load the students on the truck. Okay. Why you? You want me to be like okay, go ahead. No, just execute. And so when I have young NCOs, young sergeants that are subordinate to me, I this is one of the things I tell them: make a decision. And if it's the wrong decision, we can talk about that and we can fix it. Now, if it's life limb, and eyesight, we don't want to make those type of decisions. But little stupid stuff like, uh, hey, I'm gonna have the soldiers go to chow, grab their bags, and then get on the truck. Okay, why, why, why you? Well, You want me to tell you like, and they say in a questioning tone, I think, you know who I'm talking about everything that person did. They came to me to ask me for approval. You've basically made a decision all, but the execute go make it happen. Like if it's wrong, we'll talk about it. You know? And this is one of those things that just drive. This is why for us, this is why soldiers sit around with nothing to do because somebody's afraid to say, you go home, I'll I'll put out notes this afternoon or this evening. Y'all take off. They're afraid to say that. So we have soldiers sitting idly for two hours mm. waiting on notes from a meeting that I could have pushed out through email or tech. You know what I mean? Like, so oh, this is a P for me for for leaders. Mm-hmm. You have the experience. Yeah. Most of the leaders are at the at the ground level, like especially those first line leaders in an organization. Make a decision. And then be prepared to accept the consequence or the mentorship to make it next time you make a better decision. That's all. I don't hurt nobody, but so this one just kind of took me back to the academy days. Yeah, I think I know who
1: you're talking about. Um, I may have ran into that person the other day and then again.
0: Absolutely, 100%. (laughs) And
1: then then I ran into that person again today.
0: Yeah, 100%.
1: One of the things I would definitely have to say to that to add to be about being versatile and... This is one of those things where it's like you have to understand kind of how to create relationships, but mm-hmm. bridges aren't built to be burnt. You ha- you build a bridge for a reason uh with someone and you create a relationship with someone. Uh some people they they build this bridge because they're just trying to get something and then they burn that bridge.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: And when you're being versatile, when you're a versatile individual, you 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 may put a toll on that bridge i don't know but you got to keep that you know you got to keep it going because if not you're what happens when you do uh need or or, or wanting to uh, work with that person you've already burned it and they're not gonna they're not gonna help you out so you're no longer you're not gonna have that that one more tool in your tool belt and i will tell you some of the most research and and this is just in the army so i, I guarantee you on the civilian sector theres other areas are people that are like this, but in the in the in the military, if I want something done, I have certain people within my ranks. It's normally it's normally the PFC or the specialist that I go to. It's that E three that E four who have they've created this network. We used to call it what, the E four mafia back in the day, Ed.
0: Yes, I had an E four mafia of my own. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, but that's who I go to if I know something needs it. like, it's critical and needs to get done like time now. But the problem is, is I all, this is the one statement I always give them is, I need this done, but it has to be legal, ethical, and moral.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because it feels like you shouldn't have to add that. <laughs> no, but I will tell you, <laughs>
1: I, I'm like, somebody brings something to me and I'll be like, where did you get this? Uh, don't ask
0: any questions. No, you can't do that. So <laughs> oh, I got to interrupt you for this one. This is really funny. And and he may even listen, but so when I first came back in the army, I'm at Fort hood. Right. And this guy's name is a uh, Rubio. And, and the other guy's name is Sybils, I believe. So we're hurting for fuel, right? And the motor sergeant tells them, I don't care how you get it, you get some fuel. And they went under a vehicle and popped the plug on the fuel tank and drained somebody else's fuel <laughs> and brought it back and put it in, you know, put it in our vehicle. And the motor sergeant is like, Where'd you get fuel at? You didn't even move the truck. Don't ask. Yeah, you, you really don't want to know the answer. And that's an instance of without stealing from somebody else. So when it all came out, this is this was the response. But we didn't take it from our company. We took it from the other company. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep. And, and but that's. I mean, that, that's why I say sometimes you have to throw out that little that little warning. Cause it has to be legal, moral, and ethically correct.
0: So the other thing, Brian, you talk about relationships. So I'm going to tell you, my sister is very heavily involved in Charlotte and athletics. She plays dodgeball, bowling, softball. So she does all this stuff, but maybe there's nobody there in her organization, which I know there's probably not. There's few, but think about the relationship she's building, right? So then when her organization says, Hey, we want to have a banquet. Oh, you know what? I play with a guy who runs a catering business Mm -hmm. and now she can. Use that network not only to help her plan this banquet, but now she's helping that guy to increase his income too, right? Mm -hmm. So networking has always been a very important thing. And I actually think that in the Army, I think professional networkers, uh, because we're always talking, and and it's gotten different – In the latter part of my career, I find now that you get a lot of handshakes, a lot of introductions Mm -hmm. to people. And you're like, okay, so you work for Defense Logistics Agency. You work here. And those are those are relationships that when you see them out and about, they're like, hey, I know you. How's it going? And then when it's time to retire, maybe those are the people that are like, hey, uh, when you retire, send me your resume. So you're you're building that rapport, that network. I think networking is always been a very critical thing um even for me like as a quartermaster you know like oh i need this well my organization i know doesn't have that i'll give you an example i'm deploying and we were out of straps for one of the trucks one to tie down like ammo and stuff well one of my friends they had just came back from deployment so they're not going anywhere and he has these trucks i call him up His name's Luther. I call him up. I say, Hey, Luther, I need these straps. He's like, well, come get them. That's the value of networking. Yeah. I'm using an army example, but this is organizations too, that, that these things can help. Maybe you're planning something. You need a guest speaker, uh, or something like that. So that's why I think networking, you know, and you see it a lot in church and sports and organizations like that. Uh, team RWB we've talked about before. These are networking opportunities that could come back and, and be a benefit to both of you
1: hmm and, and I mean, and that falls right on that whole don't burn those bridges because... yeah. I mean, let me ask you this. How many people... And I can... I As soon as I say this, I know of one that you would say his name like right off the bat, like that instant. But how many times have you met somebody in the service where you thought, man, you better not get out of the army because this is the only place where you're going to get what you want because only because of the rank that you hold. You get out of the service and people are definitely not going to help you. (laughs) There are individuals. And what they did is they burned these bridges. And these are the type of people... Like if, If they showed up to my organization and I just happened to be the hiring person or I knew the hiring person and I knew of this person applying, particularly, especially one in my mind, and I know the type of negative attitude they have, the way that they are demeaning, disrespectful, uh, and and just just how they are, I'm going to say I wouldn't hire that person. You're creating a toxic influence across our organization as soon as you hire that person.
0: Oh.
1: <laughs> and that's one of the biggest things I've been scared about. And and we've talked about it before. The way I was years ago, I just I'm thinking, man, I hope I really didn't burn somebody enough that they would just be like, forget him, you know, type attitude. Matter of fact, I just it was a guy I ran into here uh here in korea uh he's he's here rotationally and uh it was he was a he was a specialist working for me when I was a sergeant and that was kind of that was kind of the end of the the mean years um and then I went recruiting and it totally changed my mind totally changed you can't treat people like that um, <laughs> but i kept thinking you know and he and he walked up to me and he said he was happy to see me and he shook my hand and i just i wasn't overly. Nice, but I was I was nice. I mean, I was trying to, you know, kind of convey that I'm not the same person you knew then. You know what I'm saying?
0: Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Cause I mean, I guarantee me now they're gonna be like, oh no, like from my early days, and it's just not the same. I don't even like the guy I was in the early days of of in a uh so uh yeah, I feel like people would avoid me. And I have hair now, so I'm more approachable. Thanks to Sarah. She says I'm more approachable with hair, so I've kept my hair. <laughs> you look way better definitely
1: uh you know and so with that though being versatile right we i mean and we've really gone on a while about this with being versatile but one of the biggest things about being versatile that people don't realize is being versatile is accepting and applying constructive criticism that is really being versatile if when you can accept it and apply constructive criticism Let's say, Ed, you're doing something and I notice it doesn't seem like you're doing it the easier way and I approach you and I say, you know, hey, man, uh, I noticed you're doing X, Y, and Z. I Just from my perspective, and I've dealt with this before, have you ever thought about doing P? And then if you were just like, come on, I got this. This is mine. How about you butt your heads out? You know, that doesn't show your, that you're versatile at all versus if you said, you know what? Thanks. I'm glad you you brought that to my attention because I was kind of racking my brain. There has to be another way to do this, right? So you're you're showing that accept of you know acceptance of that constructive criticism. What do you think?
0: Yeah, you know this reminds me of you. Talk before land navigation, I remember I had a soldier on land nav, and we allow them to use the ropes if possible. And this soldier is just tromping through some of the thickest brush and thorns and stuff. And uh, I said, "Hey, sir you know, you're allowed to use the roads. And she looked at me and she says, I know, sir, but this is the only way I understand how to do it. So I was like, okay. Now, what the soldier did that caught me is land navigation is complete, right? Graduate, they're, they, they've completed land navigation. You know, that's going came to my classroom and said, hey, sir, do you have a few minutes to kind of go over how you would have used the roads to do this? Task is complete, but they were versatile enough. They wanted to be versatile enough that they wanted to understand the other way to do something. So at test time, it wasn't the time they wanted to learn something about it. But yeah, no, I felt, oh my goodness, that was like a, a bunch of patch, and She's just tromping through this thing. But she did come back for more guidance later. And that is being versatile. Because if you're able
1: to, you know, actually take in the information that's given to you, even whether it's somebody who's always trying to prove you wrong, at least accept it for a moment. I got you. We all know those people that are just always right, and you're always wrong. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Forget them. All right. But there are real people that want to literally help. So, and that's why I look at that. So, get anything else about being a versatile influencer?
0: Tell me what you think, Brian. Versatility comes with experience.
1: Yes, because see, that's the thing. Like understanding that you you can be going one direction and then go in another direction and be able to do it like with on a hitch. I think it does. T- I, it does take time. I couldn't do that when I was younger. I know I couldn't have, but as I've aged, yeah, I can, I've, I've learned to become more versatile.
0: I really wish I'd learned some of this stuff. End of half. Cause I think by the second half, man, that would have been awesome. I think it comes with a lot with experience. It, it's those touching the, the stove and finding out it's hot moments. Oh, that's hot. Let's not do that again. And understanding those things just makes you much more versatile, right? Like, Yeah. And then, hey, you know what makes you really versatile, Brian?
1: What's that? Lifelong learning. <laughs> oh, look at you. Yeah, I think that one falls in all three of them today, though. I, I could definitely say. Uh, you know what, though? I th- I think what you were talking about with versatile um, and and, you know, Wish, and when you said, I wish I would have learned this sooner, I think that comes down to having a good mentor, right? Or somebody who's willing to give you information or to train you and teach you how to be versatile, Um and saying, you know, and and that comes into the constructive criticism and getting good constructive criticism, you know, hey, that's a good idea, but I probably wouldn't quite do this element of this, right? That That is good constructive criticism that helps people grow. If you constantly tell somebody that they're wrong, they're not going to want to come to you anymore.
0: Yeah. No, and, and with that. Oh, I'm sorry. So constructive criticism, I wanted to say this when you talked about earlier, too. It is excellent tool but it it's it's a waste of time if you're not going to action it. So if you're going to give me some constructive criticism and I don't use that to develop to become more versatile, that was a waste of time. Like what well, what was the point of it? We have to recognize our faults mm-hmm. and then be able to action it to improve them and continue to grow.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's yeah, without a doubt. But like you said earlier and I felt it myself, we become better through mentors. And those who are willing to help us become better, because these are all the th- all the things we're talking about today. These are things that we one we bounce off each other, um, we talk about with each other, we've dealt with through life because somebody else has given us that information or somebody else has educated us on that information. It's not like I just knew how to be versatile. You know, I've had mentors that have taught me that. Watching somebody take a problem and troubleshoot it, and then come up with a solution. That helps you, so. Yes. Let's move on. We are going to get into adaptive. Influence is adaptive. So here we go. Use adaptive to describe people who are flexible. They don't lose their cool when plans change quickly, and they are always willing to learn new ways to do things. Being adaptive helps you sail along in today's ever-changing world. What do chameleons and your grandparents do? who only started using computers a few years ago, have in common. They are adaptive. Just as chameleons change color to match their surroundings, green when sitting on leaves, brown when climbing the tree's trunk, your grandparents learned the skills to keep up with the world around them. The opposite of adaptive is stubborn. People, lizards, or anything that refuses to change are stubborn. To welcome change is to be adaptive.
0: Uh, I'm going to share something with you. So, again, yesterday I went to Bastone, and he was telling a story. So it was a guy who fought at Belgium, right? He is still, uh, he lives in Belgium still, and he is celebrating his 99th birthday. 99, right? And what the society for the Battle of the Bulge Society did is they're giving him an iPad. I want you to think about that for a moment. 99 years old, got he's getting an iPad, and it's because he is always on computers. He's always on his laptop, and the laptop's basically slowed down. It's older, and that's what they're getting him for his 99th birthday. And immediately I was like, 99, this dude using an iPad? Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, that's a key example of being adaptive, though. I mean, I mean that goes right along a lot. I was talking about with the grandparents and stuff, but he's 99 years old. And he's going to use an iPad, something. So add to this to the vision of this too,
0: Brian. Yeah. This is a guy who was in foxholes fighting in World War II, but he's getting him an iPad. That's It's mind boggling, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I wish I could go because they're doing it like a big celebration for him at the for his birthday cards. I wish I could go, but I think I'm going to be out of town.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, that's just so cool too because – it, now he's going to connect with so much more, a little bit faster. Now he was already using a, a laptop. You say
0: right? Yeah, yeah. He was already there Community He's on the the, the guy was like, you find him on Facebook, Instagram. He's Snapchatting like ninety nine. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. But
1: now think about it. Think about this now. Now because we're going to get into we're going to get into like like about fourteen different signs of what being adaptive is right. Think about this. Adaptable people experiment. He's he's experimenting right there alone. To adapt, you must be open to a change and you have to be able to be willing to accept that change and then move on with it, right? Those who aren't adaptive who don't accept change, they're just they're gonna be stuck on that old rhythm. And how do you influence anyone if you can't change?
0: I actually I kind of like that idea of that. Like because some people thrive in a change, so like you know, um, and, and here's the the example they said they're, they're using here. They're talking about uh company that failed to adapt to the to you know to the change. Blockbuster, which there is a blockbuster in the United States, there's still one. Borders bookstore. Uh, those are those are pretty examples. Like they just you know they didn't adapt to the change and end up. In um some other companies saw an opportunity and, and changed, you know, things around and, and attacked an audience different. So I, I like the idea of the challenge. When somebody says, Oh, there's no way this can get done, that's the task I kind of want.
1: How about this one? Adaptable people see opportunity where others see failure.
0: Oh yeah. Or the there that Michael Jordan uh commercial, you know, he talks about taking a thousand shots, but it's the one that he makes. That wins, you know, wins the championship or whatever. That's the one that made the other thousand misses worth it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. And it, when you think about it, though, I what is it? Uh, I'm trying to think who was said. It was Edison. He said, "I didn't. F- he I didn't fail a thousand times. I just found a thousand ways not to do something." Adaptable people are resourceful and think ahead. We talked about just a few minutes ago when we were going about being versatile. So you can you can interchange versatile and adaptive in a sense, but at the same time, I feel like adaptive is the outcome of being versatile. I'm versatile and I'm able to adapt because I'm versatile versus I can't be adaptive and then because of that, I'm versatile. If you think about it, being resourceful, that can... uh that can help you adapt to whatever situation, like you were talking about. Um, if I know, like you're talking about your sister, and she needs to set up, uh, help get a banquet set up, and she happens to know somebody who's a caterer, and maybe somebody who's done part-time DJ, and because she got to know those people. Now, what is she, she would become adaptive to that situation, uh, versatile and adaptive, because she's able to resource that. Or, or or even ask for opinions. You know, because maybe she's not asking that particular person to be a part of their uh, of their banquet. Maybe she's asking them of what their opinion is about X, Y, and Z. You know, and that you know that helps. That's part of being adaptive.
0: Yeah. If it went wrong, it's not my fault. It has to be somebody else's fault. If it went great, oh, I did that, but you really weren't the driving primary force. But yeah, look what I did. Look what I did. But if that thing would have failed. Then it's like, well, I was only the alternate. That was the primary. So, adaptable
1: people, they don't whine, they don't blame, and they don't claim fame. Cuz I think all those kind of go together. Whiners like to blame other people and then they they seem to be the same type of people also like to claim the the glories and and give all the bad credit because you think about it. When I'm if I'm whining about a particular thing, you know, I don't want to be blamed for it and if something happened good, I want to be able to say, oh, that was me. But if it's something bad, I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, that's not what I do, but I can definitely say that I've noticed people, those are not adaptive people whatsoever.
0: So the whiner is bad, but the worst type of human being is a whiner with no solution. You complain about something to me, but come with something to fix it. Or Even if that thing is way off base, I'm like, that absolutely is not going to happen. At least I know you put some thought into it and attempt but that whiners are like, yeah, 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 definitely. No, I I just wanted
1: to hit upon the whining part because I, I really can't stand whiners, but I like to, I like to uh, turn that kind of like on them and turn it into a positive. Like basically, well, thank you for whining about like (laughs) point out that they're whining, but then turn it into, thank you for whining about that. You know what? I'm definitely going to fix that. (laughs) when you teach people to bring solutions to problems, you build and grow the organization no matter what. I don't care what anybody says. If you teach people, they have to bring you a solution with their problem. You will grow the organization every time. And you're also creating adaptive people. But one of the cool things, uh, adaptable people do is they talk to themselves
0: yes my wife is a very adaptable person Yeah, she she often just talk herself through a problem or a situation out loud and i give her a hard time about it but to me it does make her a very adaptable person because just because she's using her outside voice it doesn't change she's talking herself through a problem trying to find a solution
1: Mm -hmm. i i find and (laughs) so It talks, uh, what what we've been reading from here, it talks about using positive self-talk. So that's another thing, you know, using, obviously, it's basically creating like a mental switch within you of self-talk, of positive self-talk. Like, so for instance, somebody comes to me with a problem, right? And they they have a solution, but it's not working so well. I love to say it to myself and then I'll say it out loud. I'll say it to myself first, then out loud. I'll say, oh, we can do this. All right, I can do this. We got this. And then I'll, I'll say it out loud. Is, we got this. We can do this, you know. And I think I've said it many times before. When you and uh, you and the bearded ninja would come to the office,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's it's. I don't know. I'm a little hung up on the out loud speaking to myself. I will run things through my head, like, and I'm a whiteboard guy. So if I have something, let's say I'm trying to figure out how to get thirty thousand gallons of fuel at this location, and then I'll start running it through, like. Who do I need to contact? And I'll be whiteboarding it, you know, to figure those things out. And I actually learned that from somebody who's been mentoring me on my new job to just whiteboard it. And it just makes so much more sense. And you're like, oh, OK. Um, actually, I watched that guy uh, concept of support for something going on. We, we were trying to develop it and he whiteboarded it. And he's like, hey, don't erase that. I need to put that on a slide.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I it's and that's a, that's a great idea too because what you're doing is you're taking that that thought, that mental image and you're making a physical things so that you of something physical you can see and it helps you through that problem solving, right?
0: Yeah. That's all awesome. oh, yeah. We yeah. should do a problem solving episode.
1: Actually, it's on the list, my friend. We're going to we're going to do one. Adaptable people are curious and why because they're always looking for other options. Now, do you always have to go with other options? No, you can use the same options, but there's always that chance. If you can use other options, there may be a simpler way to do this task. Yeah, it may be the same time as last time, but there, maybe there's something s- slightly different. So why not check out this other option just in case? You know. Well, you know, and think about it too. Uh, no, another thing that adaptable people uh, they they know how to open their mind and see systems. Right See how things work. Um, you can't see the forests beyond the trees, but if you're somebody who's adaptable, you can see the entire forest and you can understand it. you know you, you not only do you see it from the front, you see it from the top, the back and both sides type of thing right So I was never a believer so much into it and realized that that's what I was doing until somebody said it um, you remember Robert Taylor? You remember he used to work with us there at the academy. One of the things he said that I, 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 there wasn't a lot of, I mean, I didn't like agree with everything he said, but he said this and I thought, man, that's like, that's, that makes sense is an organization should be a system-based organization that anybody can jump into. It's just different personalities may elevate that system a little bit, but you want to keep it system-based.
0: Let me think about it. Okay. Yeah. So plug and play. I should be able to pull the ninja out and put somebody else in there and the system should make the wheels keep turning. Yeah. Now you have. Now don't don't get me wrong. You have
1: levels of competencies. You have levels of uh, an attribute. I'm using Yeah, attributes and competencies that that will make that person a little bit better in that system or not. Right. Um, I know you don't like them, and you've said it yourself. The Patriots are a systems based team.
0: Oh, here we. Go. Oh yeah, I agree. Because Tom Brady would be garbage anywhere else. And
1: I, I don't know that. I know he's <laughs> to me he's amazing. But what I'm getting at is, you know, in that same situation, and I tell people, I tell people all the time, systems based works as long as you have a system, right? And if you if, if you have that system, you can plug anybody into it. You ha- the key though, key things are one competency of it. You have to teach them the system. Because if you just plug somebody in it and don't teach them anything, they're not going to figure it out unless, and then they're going to start building their own systems, right? And now it's going to throw a a rock in the in the
0: wheels. It's really easy to kind of visualize what you know what we're saying about systems when you look at like look at Phil Jackson, Phil in Chicago, and he was championships using the triangle offense, takes his triangle offense, goes to Los Angeles with different personalities and players plugs them into the triangle and granted he had two hall of famers in both organizations who played very different games mm-hmm. so he goes to la with the championships so that system can be attributed to it yeah he had two homes at both places but how much does that play into a system or you know uh in, in chicago he doesn't have a dominant big guy like shaquille o'neal in la he has that shaquille o'neal so two different types of players same success so mm-hmm. yeah systems and plugging and playing I just don't know. I think Brady would be good, and everything depends on the organization. If he went to Cleveland, he'd be running for his life so much, he'd probably be terrible. But as long as he's on Bell Belichick, yeah, I think he's okay. I think he can play a few more years.
1: And he'd be he'd be retired if he was in yeah. Cleveland. He'd yeah, yeah,
0: in Cleveland. If he yeah. wasn't dead, he, he'd be uh, retired. Sorry to all our <laughs> Cleveland fans. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a, you know, because I do love the New England Patriots, but I am a bit of a closet Cleveland Browns guy because I, you know, I recruited up there and I got to go to free games all the time and I felt bad for them all the time and now I see that, I'm telling you, I mean, obviously, you know, we're not even into the season yet, but this, if those superstars that they've just pulled this year in 2019 pull together, that's gonna be a good team.
0: I'd be interested to hear uh, Justin from the Academies. Take on it because he's been a lifelong yeah. Browns sufferer, and uh, I love when he talks about them So I'd yeah. be interested what his take is right now.
1: He's, you know, what he would be a good person we have on here.
0: <laughs> he would, because him and I love military history. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We just have to make sure we warn him hey, listen, watch your language a little bit. Yeah. Let's not <laughs> infantry this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, last thing about being adaptable before we kind of. Roll this you know um, last thing that I saw here was uh they know what they stand for, right when you're adaptable, you also have that core foundation, and we talked about it earlier being pivotal uh and you, you in versatile you like yeah you you also have to have it there, but you have to have that core foundation, those values or that those the morals and ethics that help keep you grounded because sometimes. You may be overly adaptive and you could travel down the wrong pathway. You know, remember earlier we spoke about, I tell a, a PFC or a specialist, hey, I need this done. And I, and I add in that little, hey, it has to be legal, ethically, and morally correct because I want to keep them grounded. You know what I mean?
0: Or <laughs>
1: Was that? They're stealing the fuel out of somebody else's truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you want to cover these uh, traits of adaptive leaders that we talked about earlier? Uh, yeah, if you want to go There's only eight, so uh, right off the bat, the ability to link organizational change to the primary values, abilities, and dreams of the stakeholders involved. That's part of being an adaptive. That's a trait of an adaptive leader right there.
0: Yeah. And we talked about that a little bit on the previous uh, influence is episode. We talked about like culture change. And that's basically what we're talking about right here.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, The next one, the capacity to create an environment that embraces diversity of views and takes advantage of such collective knowledge to benefit the organization. Man. Have we heard that before or even spoke of that before?
0: I think we have. I think we do quarterly training on something similar. My favorite part is take advantage of such collective knowledge to benefit the organization. Uh, You really beat me up about the term talent management when we were talking about it was another program the Army was looking at putting in place. And this is to me. This is talent management, and uh, talent management is I, one of those terms that I got from you. I really, really, really think it's super important now. Mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of faith in it. But this is talent management, my friend. And you know, I agree
1: with good talent management, but at the same time, that's you have to understand the elements of talent management and be an adaptive. That you don't use the same people all the time for the same tasks. You have to. The
0: horse will eventually break.
1: Yes, you have to <laughs> diversify that talent management by pairing people together, getting them to train other people. And I I think that's probably one of those things where that's why we are able to be victorious in many things we do or, or successful in the service versus I, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm saying this out of place because I've never been a civilian, but from what I've gathered on the outside world, people don't want to, Train others how to do their jobs because they're worried they could lose their job, and I like to me, that's just I don't know. It uh, as as an old coach of mine used to say he never cussed, but he said this one word, and I always thought isn't that cussing? I didn't know what the word meant until later. But he would say let's just asinine, which means stupid. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, I, I, that's one of those things, man. I just I'm I, I'm gonna forever preach that of diversifying your talent management. So, all right. The next one, number three, the adaptive leader understands the change can be a painful process. Therefore, he or she can foresee and counteract any reluctant behavior from teammates. This right here—that's one of those. So, this is where you're talking about when we change the curriculum. Uh-huh. Part of my part of my brain, my my, uh, my problem solving was like you said, identifying those who would not accept the change very well and figuring out how to engage them. They're the primary, they're my primary person that I want to engage because if I can reach them, I'm reaching everybody else, right? Those who do accept, they're going to, they're going to fall in line even more. I want to, I want to think about those people who are not accepting it. That's what's key.
0: Yeah. I mean, you always have those informal leaders too. So I remember kind of the list you put down, and one of them was a very strong uh, leadership personality. So you had to win that person over because a lot of other people would follow suit. And I actually think that one you might have been wrong about. I'm thinking about Steve, I think. But even we just talked about Justin, and Justin was one of those personalities. Once Justin bought in, a lot of people because of the personality he had within the organization anyway, even though he's partially because he's been there forever. But...
1: Yeah. Well, and you know, though, with him, though, I wouldn't say that he didn't buy in. He just wasn't understanding the concept at the time. Because the funny thing was, is just like we said earlier, he's, you know, we st- we talked about um, where, you know, did you realize you were being versatile or pivotal or adaptive when you took on the role? And did you realize you were creating a vision, blah, blah, blah? Well. That's the thing is once we started talking the piece, he's like, Oh, I already do that. Yeah, exactly. You're already doing it, man. You're, you're, you're already on spot with what we need. So that, and that was what was cool with him. You know, um, yeah, Steve, he shocked me though. Cause, <laughs> and he didn't really shock me. I, I know cause he has a lot of hidden talent that he just doesn't want to offer up. And I think it's cause he's worried about getting hurt in the, in the process. You know what I mean? Because he has been burned before, yeah. uh, with, with that, I was like, man, he is, he he knows exactly, and he was offering up ideas and stuff like that. And it's like, when you grab those people to get them to accept it, they have to offer something. So if, you ever, if you're ever out there, that's just one of the things I've done. Now, you may think I'm wrong, I don't know, but it's worked for me for years now. To get those people to accept something, you got to get them to offer something first. Because if they offer up an idea, and then you can use, you say, you know what, I like that. How about I use this part of it because we're still required to do this part. But let's use that part because that's that's spot on. You just created ownership for them. Now they own part of the prompt because part of it's their idea.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, buy in. Buy in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so next one. In understanding that large scale change is a gradual process which calls for persistence and a willingness to bear the pressure that comes along with that. There is going to be pressure, and you have to understand it, and you have to be able to accept that.
0: Yeah, oh, that's curriculum change again.
1: Yeah, <laughs> all, all day long. Uh, and these are what we're what I'm reading down through are the traits of an adaptive leader. You know, obviously, uh, to kind of close out the adaptive part. Being proactive, looking for opportunities, and in investing the necessary resources to go after them. So we talked about it earlier with resources, but being proactive. Uh, I've heard this multiple times, and I, I I also say it. I'd rather be proactive than reactive all day long.
0: I absolutely hate being reactive. It, it, I hate when I'm put in a situation to be reactive. Yeah, but somebody who's
1: adaptive, they don't have to. Well, they can be reactive when they have to, but being adaptive is is using those elements of being proactive and saying, okay, we've got this upcoming task. See, right there alone, you just said I've got this upcoming. So I'm planning for is what I'm saying. I'm being proactive. And that's that's key, man. I mean, all all day long. You know, if, if I know I've got to get five people to this training, I, I gotta figure out how to get them. I've got to figure out all these other elements to it. Well, that's yeah, I gotta be proactive. I can't wait until the day before and then they not make it, you know, possibility. Admitting when they make mistakes in changing or abandoning non-productive strategies that falls right in the line with the constructive criticism we talked about earlier
0: yeah that's uh, and, and that's goes back to what we've talked about before about you know um controlling your ego mm-hmm. that's what I when I see that that's what I'm thinking like okay I, I was wrong taking ownership Jocko. taking ownership and then uh changing or abandoning non-productive strategies like this is the you know, it's nothing worse than you put a lot of effort into planning something and having to admit that your plan was faulty and we need to go a different route. Like it hurts because you put, you invested in that, that's your baby, but you still have to be willing to say, you know what? I put 20 hours into this planning and this is just not the route we need to go. So let's look at another strategy. Let's go to a different course of action.
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely.
0: And that's my ego being checked.
1: Yep, exactly. And it's just putting you in check. And I mean, Everybody, everybody falls victim to it at some point. It's just knowing how to identify it and then to be able to move forward. Here we go, being open to experimentation and risk taking this one that one you know being an adaptive leader is and being able to experiment or take risk that can be kind of a thin ice area sometimes <laughs> depends upon what you want to risk here you know um and and frankly, I'm just gonna say it. Some people just are not good at making the, that type of decision, or they're not willing to because they're too scared to. That comes with confidence and building confidence and training those people and, and, and educating them on the whole process. But risk taking, as long as it doesn't uh, do anything ethically, morally, or illegal, you're good.
0: Life limit eyesight. <laughs>
1: yeah, or you're not. You're not dumping millions of dollars of a company, uh, a company's profits into something that shouldn't be, you know.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna invest in the widget. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Liking and encouraging innovation among employees. That right there, that's part of that talent management thing again. But at the same time, encourage, encourage, encourage positive attitude. Like you don't have to be all bubbly positive all the time, but come on, you gotta you gotta rely upon your people. You can't be the idea of everything.
0: Yeah, and that's just organization by growing that peop that person. Exactly. All right. So what we
1: covered today was influence is pivotal, versatile, and adaptive. Understanding how to be pivotal, versatile, and adaptive, well, that's a whole nother that's a whole nother thing once you've understood what all the elements are. And it comes with practice, it comes with time, it comes with mentorship. We've both said it already before. We we both wish we would have had somebody that would have would have mentored us to be this way, but it just takes time. You know, you have to go through the heartaches and then the happiness and all that. But you can use small elements of what we spoke about today to help you in that. With that, what do you got for man?
0: I think that's it for this episode. I got to quote my man Winston. I got to talk a little bit about Bastone, and I learned some things. So I got to do some lifelong learning. It was a great episode.
1: Absolutely. Hey, so this week's task—we're not going to throw out really much of a task other than. What are you doing to help grow as an instinctive influencer? Well, how about you do this? How about you go to our Facebook page? How about you share it? Share it with others? How about you ask somebody if they want if they've listened to the? How about you you recommend a show? Do those things. Let's see what we can do to kind of get you know get the, get the word out there uh, because the cool thing about it is when you spread the word and pe- more people get involved, more ideas come up and we, then we get to generate off each other. Those things help generate more information to kind of get out there and to grow the masses and to be a part of an instinctive influencer. Think about how we're going to grow our community and our group, and that's what we need to do. So reach out, share the show, share the page, send it an email, whatever. Whatever it is you got to do, recommend to others. But let's let's grow this community and uh, get more people involved. With that, I don't have much more to say. How about you, Ed? No, that's a a wrap on another great show. Absolutely. I am Brian. And I am Ed. And this has been the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.